Good job, guys. Good crew this morning. Good to see everyone. Glad that you're here, and welcome. I'll add my uh, welcome. to. Uh, we've got a number of guests with us this morning, so we're really glad that you're here. It's always good to have Uncle Ron uh, here with me and my family. Corinthians, and we're going to dive into it here in just a second. You might say, well, Uncle Ron's here, and it's not deer season yet. Well, it's true. It's not. But we're going to go up into Wyoming uh, here this next week, and uh, visit some friends and do some, some fun stuff and maybe a little bit of bird hunting along the way. So we're, we're excited about that. Abraham and Uncle Ron and I are going to make a road trip this next week. So that, that'll be a lot of fun. And like I say, I, wanna, I, I haven't had a chance yet this morning to greet every single one of our guests because we've got a, a bunch that are here with us this morning. And so we're really glad. My name is Jeremy and I'm one of the pastors here. So it's nice to unofficially meet our guests that are with us this morning. First Corinthians chapter 4. We're reading through the book of 1 Corinthians, preaching our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, and this morning we're going to look at verses 14 through 21. But before we just jump into that little section, let me remind you that Paul is writing a letter to a group of Christians who have a church in a city named Corinth. And they, just like us, struggle. They've got some problems, they've got some issues, and Paul is the founder, he's the church planter of this church, and he's writing to address some things. Some of the things are good, most of the things are corrective in nature, and I want you to notice something as we read through these verses this morning. I want you to notice the language that Paul uses that is parental in nature, it's like a father writing to children. In fact, those are exact words that Paul's going to use, but I want you to notice through all of these verses, the parental nature of what Paul is writing here in verses 14 through 20, 21. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. I do not write these things. Now, you remember, he's already written these things. He's written some things that are kind of confrontational. He says, I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you. As my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I'm, I'm your spiritual daddy. I brought the gospel to you. You were born again through the gospel of Jesus Christ that I brought to you. Verse 16, I, I urge you then, because I'm your spiritual father, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child, there's that language again, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some of you, is implied here. Some of you are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you as soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not exist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod? or with love in a spirit of gentleness. Father, would you please help us in this passage this morning to see the good of the gospel and the good of spiritual parenting and the call to discipleship for each one of us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Parents say funny things to their children. A lot of parents say the same sorts of things to their children. In fact, I could, I could start some of these phrases, and the children would be the ones who will know how these phrases end, right? I brought you into this world. <laughs> Clayton, that was a little too quick, buddy. That was... <laughs> Oh, man, that's the best. I love being a pastor. I love church. I just love being with y'all. This is good. I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. Don't do as I do. Do 
as I say. Yeah, that's exactly right. Don't do as I do, do as I say. How about this one? This one, this one. Even as a parent, when I say this one, and I don't say it very often anymore, but even when I say this one, I'm kind of like, this is a really stupid thing to say. You look at your kid, right? They've just done something out of line, and you look at them and you go, do you want a spanking? Think about that question. Do you want a spanking? You imagine your child, you know, Dad, given my behavior here in these moments preceding your question, your question has struck me to the heart, and I, I realize now that the thing that I do indeed need, given the sinful nature of my heart and the fact that I'll be prone to do this again if discipline is not brought into my life to curb this behavior, Dad, I, I, I would like to receive from you a spanking. No, right? It's a dumb question, and, you know, your kids know. Usually, the first time that question is asked, your kids know, okay, like, there's no spank. I'm, I'm in no threat of actually receiving one. We, we laugh at each of these statements. I picked these three statements on purpose, right? I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Don't do as I do. Do as I say. Do you want a spanking? I chose those three on purpose because there actually is just the tiniest little bit of, of truth or, or, yeah, truth is the right thing, um, there's something that resonates that's true in each one of those phrases that really kind of goes along with my outline this morning. Okay, This morning, we're going to look first at spiritual admonition, then we're going to look at spiritual imitation, and then we're going to look at spiritual correction. Spiritual admonition, imitation, and correction. If you don't know what those, if you don't know what those words mean, we'll explain them when we get to them. Spiritual admonition, imitation, and correction. And a as a parent... Uh, you asked the question, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. And there, there's some truth to that. Like, God does use a father and a mother to bring a child into the world. There is physical parenting that brings about physical children. God also uses parents to be um, uh, an example to their children, someone that we should say, hey, listen, imitate me, right? Don't do as I do, do as I say. Now, that's a, that's a bad statement because we should live in such a way that we can say both do as I do and do as I say. But at the core of that statement is the idea that I'm supposed to behave in a way that's worthy of imitation, spiritual imitation. And then thirdly, I was talking about spiritual correction, spiritual discipline. The, the phrase, do you want a spanking? Well, that, that implies that there is this uh, relationship that involves discipline and correction when it comes to, to parenting in the, in the human physical world, father and mother uh, parenting their children. These, these truths are all very clearly laid out for us here in this passage this morning as the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he's using language to describe his relationship with them as one of a father writing to his children. And as their spiritual father, it's his responsibility to care for them. And as his, their spiritual father, it's his responsibility to live in a way where he will actually call upon them at least two times in the book of 1 Corinthians. He says to them, follow me, like imitate me. Simon says, right, get, get in line behind me. I want you to imitate me as I imitate Christ. And then, and then look at the very end of verse 20, uh, excuse me, verse 21. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod? What is he asking there? Do you want, <laughs> yeah, he's asking, do you want a spanking? We'll unpack that when we get to it, okay? Here's the main point this morning. The gospel, and I was trying to think of a better way to phrase this. The gospel comes with spiritual parenting. The gospel comes with spiritual parenting. And we'll unpack that as we walk through it here together this morning. First of all, spiritual admonition. Paul has already written in the division, the divisiveness, that I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, that he's already addressed several times in the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul is writing to them, and he's saying, I didn't write those things to you to make you ashamed, to make you embarrassed. And sometimes as parents, we realize that we, it's actually pretty easy for us to do, we flip over into into uh, shaming our children rather than, than, than um, admonishing them. And, and Paul's writing and he's saying, look, I, I'm, not, I'm not writing to, to make you embarrassed. 
I'm not writing these things to make you ashamed. I actually want to admonish you. Paul has written some hard things. Just wait until Will preaches next week. If you want to sneak a peek at, verse, at chapter 5, Will Perkins is preaching next week on chapter 5. You can see why I assigned that passage to him, and I'm going to avoid... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but it is... Um, it is Will's turn to, to cover this section next week. Paul's writing some challenging and difficult things, but not, not to ashamed or embarrass, but, but rather to admonish. Now, that's a word that we don't use a whole lot. The idea there is the idea of instructing, but with, with, a, with a twist of warning in it. And, you know, with a, it it's instruction with a pinch of warning. Ad- admonishing someone is to say, listen, let me, let me tell you, this is how this needs to be done. And, and if, you don't, if you don't do it this way, there could be some, some challenging consequences otherwise. And as parents, we know what this is like, right? We give our children, we give our children some instruction. We show them, here's how you should do it. Here's what's, what needs to be done. And, and, and often our children want to do it slightly different, right? Like they, they want to they tweak it. They've, they've got a better way to do it and you, you have to admonish them. No, listen, here's how, here's how you need to do this. This was instruction which included warning of what would happen if you don't change your ways. And Paul is admonishing them. He's saying, listen, if you don't change your ways, this division in the church is going to completely destroy the church. It's going to destroy, destroy you as individuals. This is a big problem. And he does this in the context of his relationship to them as a, as a spiritual father. And Paul clearly spells out his relationship with them in terms of, I'm the father, I'm the dad, and you're the children. They, they are beloved children, verse 14. I'm writing to you as my beloved children. And then verse 15, though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Now, at the time that Paul is writing to the Corinthians, young children of the upper middle class and, and upper class uh, would have often have had like a, um, uh, a teacher or a, a, a pedagogue that would come alongside them, and uh, the, the wealthy parents would employ this person to take their kid to school and tutor their child and take care of their child and make sure everything for their child was done for them. And if that servant didn't fulfill their role well, they just fire that servant and get another one. And Paul's saying, look, there are a lot of people who serve you in the Lord and who minister to you in the Lord, but, but there's only one spiritual... Pa- I, I, I came to you, and I'm your father. I brought the gospel to you. And he became their father through... Look here again in verse um, 15. He, he, brought, he became their father through the gospel. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The gospel. Matt made a big deal out of the gospel in Sunday school. I try to make a big deal out of the gospel every single Sunday. We, 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 we refer to this church as a gospel-centered church, as a gospel-focused church. That's because the gospel is a big deal. The gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ is why we've gathered this morning. We've sung a lot today about Jesus Christ. Great is his faithfulness. He is strong and kind. The, the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came and lived perfectly. He lived the life that you were supposed to live, but you, you actually have failed to live. You, you've sinned, just like me. We've all all have sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus came and he didn't sin and he didn't fall short of the glory of God. He achieved the glory of God. And Jesus did that for those of you who will put your trust in him. But not only did Jesus live for you, but Jesus died for you. The death that you deserve because of your sin, the penalty against your sin that you deserve to pay on your own, Jesus Christ took the wrath of God when he hung on the cross for us. And so Jesus lived for us and Jesus died for us. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead for us. This is good news. The religion, the, the, the gospel of the Bible is not a good advice gospel. In fact, that's actually an oxymoron. Gospel is good news. This is what Jesus has done for you. Many religions preach good advice here's what you have to do 
in order for God to be happy with you. The gospel of the Bible is a gospel of good news. Here's what Jesus Christ has done. And if you will turn from your sin and put faith in Jesus Christ, then you, like the Corinthians, can be born again and part of this same family. And Paul is saying, you became born again. You became children of God when I brought the message of the gospel to you. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but you believed that message, and now you are part of the family of God. This is why you are my children, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul, Paul says, I'm your spiritual father. Now, you might wonder, like I did, why does Paul call himself father? Jesus said, call no man Father, what's going on here? For just a second. Jesus is not, he's not erasing titles or distinction or authority. He's confronting the spiritual pride of the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. He actually says, call no man father, call no man teacher, call no man uh, master. And what he's saying there is there are those who have set themselves up in a prideful position of authority over you. Don't, don't use those titles to address and... and um, uh, uh, yeah, pump them up. There we go. That's not in my notes, but I like that. Yeah, puff them up. Yeah. D- don't, don't call them those titles creating an, a distinction that's not a biblical distinction. This is, don't call men master, father, teacher. Here, Paul is saying, the relationship that I have with you is that of a spiritual father. And I need to admonish you And I have a feeling, friends, that the people in the city of Corinth, that the brothers and sisters gathered in the city of Corinth, they didn't like being admonished any more than you and I like being admonished. How many of you you like it when someone comes along and points out to you where you're wrong? Yeah. Yeah, nobody's, nobody's hands went up. It got awkwardly quiet in here. No one likes to be warned. No one likes to be wrong. We don't like to be admonished. We don't like to be instructed. We don't like to be warned. We don't like to be urged. Whatever the word is, we definitely don't like to be confronted by another human being or by God. We don't like to have it done in person. We don't like it from the pulpit. We don't like to read it in the book or hear it on the radio. When's the last time someone admonished you and and they were right and you listened and changed? Man, some of us hate to be wrong. You ever seen someone and, and they're wrong and then someone proves to them that they're wrong, but they just deal, dig their heels in even more? I mean, it's just like they've already been proven and you know, empirically that they're wrong, but like, they're just not wrong. Um, some of you have seen, some of my younger friends in the room have seen the, the kids cartoon movie, Megamind. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hand. It's not worth going out and seeing this afternoon, but it is a fun kids movie. Megamind and his minion named Titan are fighting in their their version of the Batcave. It's not the Batcave, but you know, they're, they're fighting about something. And Megamind is proven wrong. He's empirically proven wrong. And he says to Titan, okay, Titan, you were right. I was less right. Now that's, right, like he just can't bring himself to say that I was wrong. The Corinthian church was wrong. Brothers and sisters, listen, I'm going to break this news to you. Some of you, this is not a thought that has ever entered your mind, but you're wrong often. And you need admonition. You need God through his word. You need a pastor. You need your spouse. You need a Christian friend to look you in the eyes and say, I love you. It's the only only reason I'm even willing to have this conversation with you. I know this is hard. I know this is awkward. I'm wrong about a lot of things too. But brother, you're wrong. 
You need to stop it. You should have the expectation from the Bible and from an honest assessment of your life that there will be times when someone will admonish you. So be ready, be humble, be gracious, live in the good of this gospel and with the expectation that you will be wrong sometimes. In those times of admonition, expect them to be beneficial. I think I've been shared in here many times. I remember the first time in my college years where a peer of mine came and confronted me about something. And in the moment, I thought, what is happening? Like, you're telling me I'm wrong about something. I mean, I'm thinking all this in my mind. You're telling me I'm wrong about something. I'm a Bible major. Like, Bible majors aren't wrong about anything, right? And besides that, you're my friend. You're my age. We're the same year in school. We're buddies. You can't and the Lord used that confrontation. By the way, that was, that was not the last time I was confronted. Um, and, well, and it's a missionary that our church supports. Tommy Kendall is the one who did this for me. And I realized in that moment that I had a friend who loved God and loved me and wanted me to grow and wanted me to be better and looked me in the eyes and said, bro, you're wrong. You got to stop it. And he was right. And I was less right. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Brothers, again, that Paul is writing to another church. He's writing to the church at a city called Galatia, and he's using the same language. Brothers, right? I'm the father. You're my, well, actually, sorry. He's using family language. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Paul has been given this role by God, this relationship with the Corinthian believers, one of a uh, spiritual father. And so he is interacting with them in a way where he's bringing them spiritual admonition. The gospel comes with spiritual admonition. Secondly, spiritual imitation. Look in verse 16. I urge you then, right, then. So he's building his urging on what he's already said. I'm your father. I'm your spiritual father, and because I'm your spiritual father, I want to urge you, I urge you then, be imitators of me. And this theme, this idea of be imitators of me, live like I'm living, it's throughout the New Testament. Paul uses it over and over again. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 um, says this, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You know that. But did you know that just a few verses later, Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And it's connected. Live your life to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And hey, listen, as, as I'm admonishing you to live your life for the glory of God, I'm seeking to live my life in, in, to the glory of God. And I want you to be an imitator of me as we seek to glorify God. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, a chapter beyond 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Sorry, I'm rereading the verse I just read. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Imitate me, and now keep your eyes. Keep your eyes on the rest of the brothers who are seeking to live this same way, this same example, not just on me as the only individual, but all of those who would seek to live according to this example. First Thessalonians, Paul's writing to the Thessalonian church. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Do you see what's happening here? Paul's saying, you kept your eyes on me, and you began to live in such a way that others would keep their eyes on you. This is how Christianity, this is how Christianity works. And Paul, I think, specifically articulates two, there's two sides to this coin of imitate me that Paul mentions here. First of all, he just says, look at me and imitate me. And then verse 17 says this, 
That's why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Matt mentioned this morning that the gospel is a gospel message. It's a word message. It's a message that includes declaring that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, is our only Savior. And so Paul is saying, follow the way that I live, watch how I live, and I'm going to send Timothy with that message again to remind you, here's here's the body of content that we're all seeking to live out together, that I'm seeking to live, and that I want to remind you is the foundation for what we're all seeking to live together. Do what I do and do what I say. We as knucklehead parents might say, don't do what I do, do what I say. And Paul says, do what I do and do what I say. Do what I do because of what the Word of God says. And when Paul says, do what I do, when Paul says, imitate me, you might think, how can Paul say this? He's just gotten done confronting the whole, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter uh, disruption in the, the city of Corinth. What, why, why is he saying, don't be of Paul, don't be of Apollos, don't be of Cephas, but, but imitate me? Brothers and sisters, let, let's remember what was happening there. In the city of Corinth, people associated themselves with the high and mighty philosophers of the day. They would find a smart, powerful, articulate philosopher that really would teach something that was really impressive. They would find the Jordan Peterson of their day, and they would say, I'm of Jordan Peterson. And this crept into the church, and the church began to say, well, I'm of, I'm of Paul. Or I'm. The church so often tries to imitate the world around it. And this is what the Corinthian church was doing. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. And the reason people were claiming those men was to try to increase their own status. It was was out of arrogance and pride. What Paul here is doing, he's saying, don't lift yourself up by associating yourself with Paul or Apollos or Cephas. Imitate me. Imitate him how? Look in verse 11 of chapter 4. Now, Paul, 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 on the heels of what we're getting ready to read, Paul said, imitate me. Look at verse 11. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed and buffeted. That doesn't mean we go to the buffet all the time. That means we get beat up. And we're homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands, And when reviled, when people say mean things about us, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Imitate me. This is how I'm living. This is how we're being treated. This is what the world thinks of us. Imitate me. Here's how I'm living. Here's what life is like for me. Imitate me. Listen, the call to imitate me is nothing like the I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. Those were ways that people were trying to improve their standing in life socially. Paul is saying, listen, the way of the cross is a humble way. Deny the I'm of a Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, and come and live like our Lord. Imitate me. It's the opposite. Paul is not just asking them, hey, give up Paul, Apollos, and Cephas and just worship me. No, no, that's not what Paul is doing. Do, do what I do. This was humble and gospel-centered. And he says, listen to what I say. Again, verse 17, I sent Timothy to remind you <coughs> of how to live and what to teach And this is, again, where Paul was teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Corinthians, they hadn't seen Christ. Paul had been given a vision. He had seen Christ. The Corinthians didn't have the New Testament. Well, they they had 1 Corinthians at this point, right? So they have a book of the Bible, a, a book of the New Testament. They likely had scrolls of the Old Testament. So they didn't, they hadn't seen Christ. They didn't have the whole New Testament, They didn't likely have copies of Scripture in their home. And they needed to know the truth of the gospel and what it looked like to live it out. 
many of us learn in different ways, and some of us are very visual learners, right? Some of you can read a manual and you can know exactly how to do a function, but there are many of us, when we're learning something new, we'll say things like, hey, can I come and watch you do that? Hey, can you show me how to do that? I want to see how you make the chocolate cake that Matt Peavy makes. I, I want to see how you grow watermelons the way Matt grows watermelons. Like, show me how you are able to do this. And that's how we so often learn. And so Paul is saying, I, look, I, I'm sending Timothy with a body of instructions, but, but I also want you to look and follow and imitate the way that I live. Do what I do and listen to what I say. And further in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, follow me. Brothers and sisters, here's, here's the... Here's the necessary um, conclusion to that phrase that we get later in the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. He, he was following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Not dress like me, eat what I eat. Simon says, Paul was following Christ with his life. What, what did that look like? Well, Jesus said the first and second greatest commandments are to love God and to love others. And so Paul lived his life in such a way where he was seeking to love God with all of his heart and soul and mind and strength and then to love others equally to himself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul loved God and loved others. He glorified God in his eating and drinking and everything that he did. Paul was following Christ with his life and said, hey, look, imitate me as I seek to follow Christ. When you think about the kind of Christian that you want to be, do you think about a person or some people that you know? I think many of us do. I think many of us, if, if I were to ask you, what kind of Christian do you want to be? Even if you didn't say the person's name out loud, you would think in terms of people that you know. And, and even though you know that they aren't perfect, you just think, man, like that person, they're following Christ. And I wish I, wish I had more of them in me. I wish, I wish I followed Christ like they're following Christ. Isn't that a gracious gift from God? Look, I, no one's perfect. I know some really wonderful Christians, and they're still a little rascally. But isn't it truly a wonderful gift from God that we can look at other Christians and have some sense of how to follow Jesus better and think, oh, okay, that's what it looks like to love my wife better than I'm loving my wife. I, I, I can imitate him as he's following Christ, because he's loving his wife well. I get some idea of how to parent better from watching these parents. And no, they don't do it perfectly. But I can, I can look at a John Lehman, we, we've had him here to speak at Permissions Conference, and, and get some idea of what joy in the Lord looks like on a daily basis. One of his life verses is, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Well, he lives that out. I can watch him. I can imitate him as he imitates Christ. This is simply what Paul is calling people to. And yet, this is where we struggle the most, I think, because we think, but I don't want anyone to look to me to follow. We're quick to say, uh, I'm, just, I'm not the example. That was Paul. I am not the model Christian. And we, we try to let ourselves off the hook. And we make excuses. And we even make excuses that sound moderately spiritual. Well, we're, we're all sinners and the gospel frees us. I'm the biggest sinner in this room, so don't follow me. Those are all, all of those things are true. But, but don't you know this, that even your struggle with sin can be lived in a way that brings glory to God and gives an example of how a Christian repents of sin and confesses sin and moves on from sin. Even your failures are worth being watched and learned from by those around you. You know where your kids need to learn how to ask for forgiveness? 
from you. Asking forgiveness from them or your spouse or others. Even our struggles are worth others watching in order to learn, here's what a Christian looks like when they fall. I like to call it falling forward. You're going to fall. You are going to fall. I want to fall forward. I want to be moving toward God when I fall. I don't want to fall on my rear end. I want to fall on my face. And brothers and sisters, we have the power of the Holy Spirit, which is mentioned here in verses 19 and 20. I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. You have been given power from the Holy Spirit to live a life that's worthy of imitation. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So I want to I call you forward to living a life that's worthy of being an example. And you might think, but I'm just a really young Christian. Then be an example of a really young Christian. Be, be an example of a really young Christian. And, and get in the Word and get in church and, and get after it. Friends, where, where are the Christian men and women who will say to this generation, follow me as I follow Christ? I want to call that forth out of some of you this morning. I want some of you to hear God speaking into your lives and realizing it's your turn to be the person who says, Okay, look, I'm not perfect. I struggle, but follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's going to include falling and failure. But I'm, I'm seeking Christ. I'm pursuing Christ. I'm going to follow after him, and I want you to follow after me as I follow after Christ. Are you here this morning? Are there, are there men and women in this room this morning who just say, I'm ready? You are ready. You have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Thirdly, spiritual correction. I'm going to come back to that follow thing in just a minute. Spiritual correction, verses 18 through 21. Shall I come to you with a rod? Do you want a spanking? Apparently there were some in the Corinthian church who knew that there was trouble in the church, but just assumed that Paul wasn't going to come around to hold them accountable, and they just thought, oh, we don't have to worry about Paul. I think it's interesting that they even had that concern, like that they recognized if Paul comes, we're going to be in trouble, but eh, he's not going to come. Like kids at home who think mom and dad don't see, don't know, won't be home. Like the cat in the hat book, right? They, they were living more aware of man's authority than the authority of God. And, and they were all talk. And Paul addresses them and says, listen, um, I'm, I'm going to come. There are some who are arrogant but I'm coming soon, if the Lord wills, I will come soon and find out where their power rests. Listen, do you, do you want me to come with a rod or do you want me to come in a spirit of gentleness? I mean, it's, it's like Paul is saying, look, I can, I can be good cop or I can be bad cop. Do you want me to come with a rod or do you want me to come gentle? And Paul proves even in this letter that both are necessary in the spiritual parenting of those who've been entrusted with the gospel. The gospel comes with parenting. The gospel is not something that simply sets you free from your sin and then you get to go live life completely independent for the rest of your life. God has saved me from hell and now I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. The gospel comes with spiritual parenting. Other Christians in your life, pastors in your life, God and his spirit in your life bring this authority into your life. So in conclusion, in conclusion, Paul Paul was thinking like a disciple, like a follower. Disciple means follower. Paul was thinking like a follower who makes followers. He, he was thinking like a disciple who disciples, like a noun who verbs, like a disciple who disciples. He's thinking like a follower who calls others along to follow as well. That's the only kind of follower there is. 
That's the only kind of follower that follows Christ, is one who seeks other followers. Now, like Matt said again this morning in Sunday school, when God gives a command, there's, there are two options. You can obey or you can disobey. But Jesus himself made it very clear. Go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. Are you a disciple who disciples? Are you a follower of Jesus who is looking for ways to call along other followers of Jesus? The, the mission of Liberty Baptist Church, already been mentioned this morning, is to glorify God in a, by doing something, by making disciples in Dalhart and around the world. And that, I hope we haven't done a bait and switch and tricked any of you, but when you became a member here, since you're a member here, that's not like Matt and Will and my my mission, my's mission, our mission. Sometimes word are, words are hard. It's not just like a handful of people who are really good at evangelism. Pick on Jake again, right? No. To be part of this church is your acknowledging, I'm in on this. I'm in on this. I'm going to bring glory to God by making disciples in Dowhart and around the world. I'm in. You're obeying that or disobeying that. If you're a member here, you're obeying that or disobeying that. Those are your only options. If you're not a member here and you're thinking about becoming a member here and you think, I don't want to do that, don't become a member here. God is doing something. And listen, I didn't make up the mission. Like, this is not novel. This isn't something like we sat around and we thought, hey, you know what would be a great idea? No church has ever thought of this before. Let's, let's make a mission that's about making disciples. No, Jesus said, hey, church, here's the mission. Go make disciples. So we see in this passage two relations, two parts of a relationship, discipler and disciples, all focused on Christ. So let me ask you, who are you discipling? I've asked you this question before. Who are you discipling? And if there aren't names in your mind right now, you're not discipling, which means you are disobeying. If you're not discipling someone, then you are disobeying God. But hey, look, that's easy. You repent. And by faith, you seek to obey God in this area. And you might think, ah, I don't know what to do or how to do that. I'm going to try to give some really practical suggestions to this in just a moment. Who, who are you discipling? Who are you calling along and saying, hey, listen, come on. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. What are some ways you can do this? Well, I still, over the last, I don't know, six months ago, six, six months or so, my, the, my, the most impactful sermon that I've preached here at Liberty was the one on eating together. I, I just, that's been in my head so much. Listen, doing discipleship isn't actually as terribly hard and complicated and it doesn't necessitate books and strategies and, and blueprints and, and strategic planning. Do you love Jesus? Work on loving Jesus. Foster your love with Jesus. Pursue Christ with all that you have and then get with people. You will talk about what you love. You will talk about what you love. It's only a matter of time. You will talk about what you love. If you love something, you will talk about it. If you go talk with Abraham McMorris, you will, you will hear about coins and coin collecting right now. He loves coins and coin collecting. If you come and talk with Jeremy McMorris, you will hear about hunting a lot because Jeremy McMorris loves hunting, right? And there are different ones of you, and I already know what you love. In fact, I know what to talk with you about because I know that you love that thing. Love Jesus. Grow in your relationship with Jesus. Foster your relationship with Jesus and then have lunch with people and have coffee with people and go hunting with people a lot and, and, um, and, and do hobbies together. Go golfing with people. Do, like, do life, but just pull in other people, but love God and you will, you will talk about what you love with people and then, and then just... And there's a thousand different ways to do this. Be with people. Lunch, coffee, tea, hobby, Bible study, prayer time. Pull them into ladies' Bible study. Pull them into church at some point. 
So disciple others and then be discipled. So let me ask another question that I don't ask nearly as often. I often ask that question, who are you discipling? Who are you discipling? If you can't think of a name, then you're not discipling anybody, and then therefore you are disobedient. Are you being discipled? Who is your discipler? And again, I think you need to have a name. Who, who, who are you following as they follow Christ? Who is bringing some spiritual authority and accountability into your life? And that might be a little bit harder to figure out. But again, find someone who is ahead of you spiritually. And you know what you do there? Same exact thing. You go to lunch, you go to coffee, you go to tea, you do a hobby together, and then you just ask them, hey, I've got kids that are this age and you've got older kids. What should I be doing right now? Brothers and sisters, none of this is terribly complicated. You don't need a smartphone to do this. Jesus gave a command, this command, 2,000 years ago. This is how we're here today because for 2,000 years, followers have been making followers. Don't take that for granted. Don't take that for granted. The fact that we're all seated here in a comfortable auditorium on a Sunday morning is because for 2,000 years, people have been doing this. In fact, if we had the vision and the capability, the capacity to see this, we could literally draw a you know, family tree or, or whatever that would be, a timeline, backwards through people to this moment. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, and people started doing that. And people started doing that, and people started doing that, and people started doing that. And here we are. Here we are, 2022, September, almost October. So now let's follow Christ and call others along to follow us as well. In my, in my preparation for this sermon, I did some deep theological study on Friday night, and I watched a movie. Raise your hand if you've seen the old Walt Disney movie, Follow Me, Boys. Holy smokes. Me and Mary Thompson and my family, because they watched it with me on Friday. It's a wonderful, I, I, okay, I don't recommend Megamind. I mean, it's fine. It's not a bad movie, but like, don't go out and watch Megamind. Go home and watch Follow Me, Boys. It is a heartwarming and wonderful story. There is a, there's a Boy Scout master who, while marching, calls out a marching song, and the song includes the lyrics, Follow Me, Boys. And the song's repeated throughout the movie, and it becomes clear that that song is the theme of the movie, and this, this scout master, his name in the movie is Lem Siddons. He lives a life that's wonderful. And he's kind and generous, and he blows it sometimes. And there are times when he blows it that he goes to this, one of the young boys in his Boy Scout troops, and he says to them, he says to this young man, I was wrong. Forgive me. He, he lives a life that's worthy of emulation. And at the end of the movie, all the Boy Scouts through the years come together to celebrate Lem Siddons. And there's this Lem Siddons Day, and hundreds of souls gather there to give glory to Lem Siddons because he lived a life that was worthy of emulation. Now, the movie falls far short of the Christian, of the beauty of the Christian religion because brothers and sisters, who knows what kind of impact your life may have for Christ? And I don't want there to be a Jeremy McMorris day, but I do want there to be a day I do want there to be a day where I stand before Jesus and there are some people who know him and love him better because of my life. That, that, I want that. And I want that for all of you. I want that for all of us. I, I mean, like, that's the thing that matters. Hunting doesn't matter unless you use it for that. Right? Guns are cool. I love them. But they don't matter unless we use them for that. There is one thing that matters, and there's a king, and we'll be with him forever. And those who aren't with him forever will be separated from him forever. And so let's use our cooking and our baking and our restaurant owning, right? And our building houses and our farming and making watermelons and checking on bugs in fields and, and running trucks all over the world and welding things. Like, let's use all of this stuff. Man, this ties to so well with Sunday school this morning. Let's use all this stuff 
And let's live in such a way where we say to people, listen, I'm going to fall down, but even when I get back up, I want you to watch how I get back up. Imitate me as I'm seeking Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And brothers and sisters, there will be a day where every tongue and tribe and nation will stand before God, will stand before his son, Jesus Christ, and they'll worship the lamb because knuckleheads like us were given the privilege to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you need to repent and ask God to help you be a more spirit-filled example of what it means to be a follower of Christ, then repent. And for all of us in here this morning, man, what incredible privilege, holy smokes, incredible privilege that's ours to be followers of Jesus Christ because others were followers of Jesus Christ and helped us imitate him better by watching their lives. And let, let's just ask God as we, we're going to sing here and the Matt's going to pray, but even as we uh, take just a moment here, and I'll ask Vicki to play on the piano for just a moment, I'm going to give you a second there just to ask God to help you be a, a lover of Jesus, it, to grow in your love for the one who took your sins, who lived the, your life, who was resurrected. Let's just ask God to help us love him more. I think when we grow in our love for him, we're going to do this follow me as I follow Christ thing. Just take just a moment there to pray. And the rest of the music team can come and get in place at this point. Father, I, I pray that you would use your word. I feel like I just could hardly communicate the glory of this passage. Father, I pray that you would use your word this morning to show my dear brothers and sisters that you are worthy of just li- using every aspect of their lives to follow you, to love you, and to bring others along in the process. Thank you for doing that work in us. Thank you for redeeming us. We were wandering away from you and your son Jesus came to bring us back to you. Thank you for being our redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.